Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. Also says hi. Hello, Hello both kids. kids. Hello, children. Um, hi. um <clears throat> yo, so how's everyone doing today? I had a I had a tooth pulled out of my head like Ooh. four hours ago, five hours ago. Ooh. Which one? <laughs> uh an important one. <laughs> important one. <laughs> I signed a job offer. It's pretty cool. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yo, so I'm just trying to run in just some levels real quick. But yo, yeah. So, hello, everybody, and welcome to the crowd episode 50. Uh, we're talking to Blue Team Village in a little bit about Blue Team stuff. Um, Post of the show notes in the chat. Um, rip to MySpace. We have an audio echo, someone's saying. Hopefully not for long. Um, but yeah, so how's everyone doing today? Is everybody uh, doing anything cool the weekend? Yeah, so uh, this is the weekend of the year that the, the Formula One is around. So I was uh, scanning for frequencies and decoding some stuff again, which is no <laughs> different than really what I did last year. So the slides from last year are basically what i did this year oh yeah so how you do that with a uh an sdr yeah with a blade i was using a blade rf you don't need a blade rf um but uh you could probably do it with an rtl sdr and uh yeah just scanning with gqrx and piping it through um uh, dsd which is a decoder for uh motorola trbo which is fun stuff fun to listen to like the things that happen like around like you know you see on the tv a broadcast and then that you know there's like 50 hundred people working in the background yeah and you can hear like you scan through and you hear like the people going like cut to camera one cut to camera two and like getting <laughs> ready to do interviews and stuff just all weird fm stuff around like 400 megahertz megahertz ish yeah no it's really cool it's also really cool that you just like hear that as close as you are and just be able to like see it and then hear it in real time be like you're just happening in the background pretty awesome yeah the funniest thing i heard was uh there was a fire uh at one point with one of the cars and um 
uh about 20 minutes later i think i hear like the race control radio be like send like section whatever send a fire marshal around to this place and they're like why i'm like just send a fire marshal around (laughs) (laughs) it's like why do you think it's probably a fire like send them around yeah sounds sounds rough it sounds real stressful to to, uh to like organize a race there's so much stuff going on everyone's going looking fast oh big event big event oh yeah no awesome um so yeah uh i guess we can get right into the news unless anybody has anything else you want to talk about real quick Oh, I built a uh, Atari synth uh, console. Oh yeah, you were telling me about that—the Atari Punk console with the yeah. five, five timers. Yeah, man, that's fun. Those are a lot of fun to make. Those, uh, the, like, I was talking to some people, talking to Decoded in IRC about uh, getting some. <laughs> he told me that he, he paid somebody to uh, grind down um, ill-fitting solder tips with a grindstone, and. I think they might actually do that because I can't find any slaughtering tips for the slaughtering station I have. But then once I do, definitely want to build some synths because that kind of stuff is uh, so much fun to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the next step is going to be. Like build it on a breadboard mm-hmm. just to make sure it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's sick though. Yeah, man, keep going. Make some pedals too. I think. Talked about that uh, Echo chip too, the uh, PT2399. It's amazing. Um, oh, yeah, though. Uh, all righty. So I guess the next uh, or next thing of the of the night will be to go into the news. So if you guys take a look at our, um, our MySpace page and look in the comments section, you'll see our news section. So the first story here is about MySpace. And so this is pretty sad. Um, it's also like a... Like, if MySpace was, if this happened 10 years ago and MySpace lost everything from the start, um, I feel like this would be the most catastrophic thing in the history of social media. Um, but apparently, uh, MySpace has lost a ton of stuff um, audio, video, you know, photos, a uh, bunch of different media from 2015 all the way to, from 2003. And um, yeah, they've lost over 50 million songs. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, um, but yeah, I don't know. This is interesting. It's definitely like, uh, like I'm sure there's people whose profiles and stuff. I know you've been able to delete your profile and whatever for a while, but uh, there's a lot of people who probably thought like, "Thank God, like I've lost access to that account and now it's been deleted for me." Sweet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some, I feel like some very embarrassing uh, childhood memories are definitely now lost to the ages, which is. Probably not going to happen um, in many other different websites. Yeah, I was just, I tweeted earlier that like it's actually sad because like I have a lot of friends who have since died. And they have a lot of music they put up there uh, that literally doesn't exist or didn't exist anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of that. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, probably anything that was on MySpace. You probably could have expected to go this way, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I think things are going to go somewhere. I was surprised when I made this uh, show notes this week that there were even still pages or websites that were dedicated to making MySpace assets from like 2000. <laughs> like there are somebody is paying the infrastructure bill on you know MySpace coding pimpmyprofilefree.tk. Like someone's still paying for that. I don't know why. Um, cause it's not even applicable. You could, you couldn't even actually apply 
um, the templates the way that you could before. Um, so it's definitely interesting to see that there's just that out there and um, the fact that it just can kind of go away in an instant like that. Um, MySpace, really although like the CSS that you wrote for uh, making MySpace templates was so painful as well because you'd be like, yeah. all right, this div and then like this directive below it five times and then, then this P tag, like you had to really like, no, like you had to start to understand CSS because it was just such a ridiculous way that you made mm -hmm. like quote layouts. Yeah, you had to like know about like all the sub, like how to inherit stuff and like sub uh, tags and classes and stuff. It was absolutely yeah. insane. Like order of inheritance as well. Like, you know. yeah. Absolutely. Does anybody know how the data was actually like lost? <laughs> Deleted. Said in a server migration. I mean, I don't, I don't know what catastrophic server migration could kill like 90% of your actual assets, but it seems like a pretty bad one if if not intentional. I don't know. I mean, I managed to delete all of prod in my second week as a junior developer. Like shit can happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I, I would assume also that they probably because of how long it's been and how many hands have it's changed, it's probably very, very difficult to actually understand the full breadth of like what MySpace actually is, you know, like to be like what like there's no like, there was no like DevOps at the time. There's no like like you know EBS to like store things on and like you know all sorts of different reliability and snapshots and things. It was probably I don't know like some Java app <laughs> that was just like stood up somewhere and then a database that had some really insane queries and then yeah everything was just kind of clutched together. I could imagine. Don't forget as well that um, MySpace wasn't a single technology. Like it was, there was like part was PHP, part was .NET. Like part was, mm -hmm. I think there was like DL, like you know, the static, statically compiled DLLs, like IIS is calling, like ridiculous shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like they made like this one app. They just made like all this trash and like cobbled it together, and then that. Mm -hmm. was Absolutely. I mean, at that time too, like 2005, 2006, like adding a new feature to a website was not easy there's no like agility it was just like make a thing and then make it talk to another thing you know there's also the uh, hmm? th there's also that lovely aphorism that a backup doesn't count until you've tested it <laughs> absolutely yeah. once they have some like worm drives somewhere that are just these <laughs> massive like uh tapes that is just somehow have all of our uh scene phase pictures on it i imagine um, all all the backups are on tape somewhere MySpace tape backups. <laughs> I'll put well, tape maybe, well, about I that. think you mean uh, MySpace mixtapes. tapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I definitely I think it's interesting to see how that goes. And it's I feel like there's going to be more stuff like this happening down the road as there's data loss. We didn't cover it before, but there was the reports of, um, of SoundCloud uh, disk rot uh, that was being evidenced by older songs. Um, which I can imagine is indicative of what's to come in the future for improper data storage, um, especially for a lot of the companies that started out very, very tiny and scaled very quickly and have a lot of infrastructure that's kind of just sitting there mysteriously hoping nobody actually touches it. I think considering um, that, I guess in a way that SoundCloud has probably produced more like more popular artists in MySpace, and I don't know, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm going to guess like that SoundCloud today, like people quote blow up on SoundCloud. It's like people's dream to get 
famous on SoundCloud. Like MySpace was a little bit of that. It was like originally like, you know, like music and that, but it was more just like, let's connect. It was a social media thing that really took it off. Whereas SoundCloud is like specifically, I'm trying to make music and get it up there, you know, kind of thing. That's what people are yeah. using it for. So uh, I think if, uh, if SoundCloud look at this and predict what may happen to them in the future, that would probably be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but like, how how much uh, how big is fifty million songs? I mean, like three, like one hundred and fifty million megabytes. Mega song. Yeah, yeah that's what... probably just had it all encoded because they, they must have transcoded it from whatever the format was to MP3 or something very much more compressed at that time. Well, at the time, yeah, at the time, I would say it would be MP3 for sure. Like that was the. Uh... That's all they were like one one twenty eight k MP three. If you didn't, that that was about as good as you needed. Like, one twenty eight. Look at look at you with the uh, the big pipe, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, anything you could hear the difference in anything less than one twenty eight. But the difference between one twenty eight and one ninety two was like not uh, like not as noticeable to the ear, I guess. Yes. Um... No, but yeah, Ian Coulter said in chat though that there's so much stuff is just gone from early internet, which is true, and it's just it's gonna keep going. It's like uh, definitely stuff getting just built, like being gone is just definitely a fact of life, and I think that like people, I guess, if they want to archive something, definitely should just keep their own backups for it, which is why I hoard this shit out of a lot of data. <laughs> well, that and it's it's pretty hard to archive things for. 20 30 years absolutely on anything other than well paper <laughs> yep if you uh <laughs> if you really want to keep something from the internet send it to uh jason scott text files he'll take care of it. absolutely yeah. um yeah we should keep going because we have a lot of news to cover here uh the next one here is pretty interesting too this is uh people were using slack uh for cd purposes where they were basically just using slack as a way to serve up um different assets, which is pretty genius for um, hitting a any developers or any professionals, uh, because anything on Slack is likely going to be whitelisted, especially like a Docker or, you know, PDF. Um, and yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. A lot of like uh, in firewalls that do inspection as well um, are going to allow uh you know they're whitelisted for content as well so when you get build alerts and things through slack it contain it might contain a stack trace or something right that mm -hmm. you're uh stateful uh that you sorry that you're uh inspecting firewall or whatever your your dirty WAF will uh block in the office whereas like you know slack has got that wireless baby because everyone <laughs> needs to use a hosted service for their bullshit <laughs> yeah no i mean it's the same thing that we've seen on you know uh discord as well um just people people are being able to just kind of upload whatever the hell they want to to the cdn and you can i think i actually i i poc'd a, a website that was hosted from the discord cdn um just by like going backwards from what i hope like put onto it to finally making like the main page and referencing all the cdn urls and then it's just a website you have just living in the Discord CDN and served up by the CDN. Um, so yeah, that's going to continue to be a thing. Um, and whitelisting traffic um, is, you know, always not the, it's not, not your, uh, I guess, the only line of defense, but we can definitely talk to the Blue Team Village a bit about that uh, later on down the road. 
Um, yeah, you want uh, you want paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yo, so the next story we have here too is uh, one of those things that people always say they did, and then people actually get caught for it this time. Um, some people had hacked uh, their school's uh, grading system and management system and changed grades and attendance. Um, so, rest off to you. Sucks you got caught though. Yeah, yeah, if you really deserve those grades, you wouldn't have got caught. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I think kids, uh, when they do these kind of things, uh, like they don't count on how much teachers actually pay attention to how bad of a student they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you don't have all A's. You weren't here every day. Like that's the other thing as well. Like that's the classic like uh, delete the delete the logs type deal, right? You you own the box, you delete the logs, lol, lol, lol. Like no, own the box and clean the. Like, don't change it to all A pluses. You just got C's, dude. Just pass. That's all you have to worry about. Yeah, or, I think like yeah. change last semester's, change this semester's. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the things that's difficult about like doing something like this is that yeah, as you're saying, like people do pay attention. It's not like you're just changing like you know digital currency or something on a on a video game. Like you're you were physically there, like there's physical backups, there's security camera footage and papers that you didn't pass in that are all an audit trail that is going to eventually be counted when someone realizes that you're, you know, uh, you have straight A's and you're the valedictorian of the class suddenly. Well, it's going to depend also on the software they use for grade tracking. I mean, if, if you've got a situation where the teachers each have a, a specific client to go to to put in the grades, then you've got a, uh, a potential to uh, influence that on the server side, and the mm -hmm. teacher might not necessarily get that kind of feedback from it. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying, as, in, as far as, like, it would be very lazy teacher to just print out the report without doing any checking at all or comparing to your own notes. Um, but I do think, though, that it, it will be easier to do something like this when things become that much more automated. Um, well, but they were saying that they had targeted a, a thing called PowerSchool. Uh, it's a student information system. I don't know if PowerSchool is like a thing that they maybe use locally, like a like a smaller company that does it, or if it's a larger thing. But there's a lot of those sort of like uh, student and personnel management sort of tools that are uh, you definitely ripe for attack. There's uh, as well like uh, some teachers like they keep their own records out, like you know the way wherever they choose to manage their data. So like some teachers. Uh, would keep stuff written down in their, their book because they weren't really computer savvy, like especially when I was at school at least. Um, but then there was like another teacher I knew who happened to use like FileMaker Pro, lol. Um, and that was just like a, a single database, like no server side, anything, but that was yeah. you know, a thing. Like, so these like school systems that are like totally integrated, sometimes the teacher doesn't enter the grade until they're ready to enter the grade, you know, like whenever that is. Um, and then right. I don't know if, how you guys have the comment system as well when you when the teacher comments on a student, but there's from what I believe, uh, from what I understand, and what I'd see from other kids' report cards is like there was a series of canned comments that you'd like sort of link together to create the comment about the student rather than just like free form mm -hmm. text it. Yeah, um, and I guess the teacher could easily not notice that slightly being changed is the other thing. Yeah. If it happens in droves with all of the bad kids, though, <laughs> yeah, 
all yeah. the kids that have enough money to pay each other like the ten bucks to get their grades changed. That <laughs> <laughs> was a bad kid. Um, yo. So the next uh, story that we have in here is pretty, pretty uh, not surprising. Uh, two thirds of Android's antivirus apps are found to be completely useless out of two hundred apps that were tested. Um, so yeah, there's a report or of a test that was taken. Um, on a bunch of different Android apps, and they don't have any protection at all. And I would assume that probably out of these, most of those are, or a good chunk of those are actually malware themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, companies that put a lot of money into making AV software for Android. And there's even, we'd had, uh, was it McAfee that was trying to do an Android, like integrated thing to ship with Google um, for Android? Uh, there's a couple of like, big vendors in the space and stuff but they're realistically they're all they're doing is is just trying to do it the same way that you would do it for you know a uh, windows system or something where you just have like blacklists and and you know they don't not really any like dynamic analysis of code or is i don't know it's just like there's a whole different landscape of like permissions and things like that that have to be taken into account that i could assume probably would be abused in new ways that are a step ahead of uh, whatever av vendor there is I think as well, if considering the amount of AV software available, like apps available versus reputable AV companies that are actually doing research on what is malicious software for an Android device versus like, I'm going to write AV software. Like, I think a lot of people who set out as like, that's their task uh, are like low tier programmers who don't really get it yet. Um, yeah. and maybe, you know, they can, they can publish, anyone can publish an app on the app store. Right. So <laughs> like, I'm going to make this AV and it's like a 16 year old kid. It's his first ever app. And he thinks he knows enough about AV to, you know, but he's never written any, any malicious software versus like Symantec or versus, you know, anyone else in the, in the AV game that's uh, been in it for 20 years and, and knows what malicious software is, how to detect it and, uh, so on and so forth, you know? Well, yeah. Also, like you see that traditional AV software just on like PC is like super intensive with like resource usage, and that's like the last thing that you want from a like something yeah. on a cell phone. Yeah, and you kind of get these folk models of of security that come up in situations like this, where depending on when the person learned how to computer. Mm -hmm. they'll have a, a different opinion on, well, is AV software necessary? Is AV software appropriate? Will AV software actually do anything? Or is it something that you need for nebulous reasons and you're not really sure why, but you should have it, so you put it on there? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel that probably one of the bigger things in this is that there are definitely a lot of younger developers on this and also the landscape of actual Android software itself is significantly different than the landscape of like say stock windows right where you only have major versions to deal with everybody knows about the different patches things like that but there are a lot of vendor specific things for each model of phone that sometimes can be vastly different in how they handle certain things and because it's open source they can have their own vendor specific you know kernel modules that they might load or something or permissions that are overridden for whatever purpose of the vendor um, such as some of the ones that are, uh, like, say, the just cheapo ones that kind of have, like, backdoors in them um, that are leveraged by AV as well. And so it's hard to kind of account for all those differences in the different, you know, imagine trying to make something that would work across every Linux version that was, like, an actual, like, 
binary that would try to do any sort of AV. It's like there's a bunch of different stuff where there's little nuances that you couldn't check, you know, in every single one of them. So I guess oh, yeah. you know, being insane. I mean, we're in infosec, aren't we already insane? <laughs> so looking at like uh, you're talking about kernel modules and stuff as well. Like I've seen a bunch of um, you know, like userland style code calling system from kernel land, like weird things in yeah. uh, SOC kernel modules as well. And it's like, well, how is your antivirus going to prevent your vendor supplied, you know, kernel module from having malicious code in there or being executed like on the Android platform, like for an Android specific thing that like interacts with like this peripheral that doesn't exist. Like, you know, there's so many of these like tiny ass edge cases mm -hmm. um, that I think, you know, I guess like compare it to an iPhone, every iPhone is the same, right? It makes it way easier. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just Android in general, like you also have the, the supply chain that we've talked about I don't know how many times we've talked about an Android supply chain now, but like Google to like vendor to like telco to like user, right? There's just like mm -hmm. all these steps added. And then you're like, okay, yeah. take all that like a billion different combinations or however many there are and apply AV to it. Like, lol, good luck, best of luck. <laughs> yeah, the other thing too, right, is a lot of it's all permission-based. So it's like, okay, is this app like exporting like like uploading all of your photos because it's a photo app or is it doing it because uh, you just said, okay, yeah, go permissions. Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't really tell you exactly why you can't really tell which uh, functions are export, exported saying, you know, what is actually using this. Like, it's not like if you're to do like, I don't know. I wish that you could just do the same way you do for like any other binary where you could just analyze it and say, Hey, what are you actually doing? Like, what do you actually want to do with this? <laughs> uh, instead of very nebulous. Um, but yeah, so speaking of uh, Andrew Malware, though, the next one here, um, so there was this adware that was found in 210 Android apps with over 150 million installs. So this gets pretty ridiculous, too, because this is just people download games and they deal, or not even just games, like just any random app, and they just deal with the absurd amount of ads that are just jammed into it that make it almost sometimes not even work. Um, and so this is a pretty cool write-up on how the actual uh, adware works and is loaded because it's just like essentially just like a, a an adware or an ad-serving platform um, that's kind of been weaponized. Um, and so there's uh, you know images of the like dashboard of this thing that you basically can use to control what is being sent to all these different phones. And it just gets pretty scary to think that there's just like in whatever sort of, uh, I guess, um, whoever the app developer that you, you know, for an app you might even like decides to go with for their ad content to support them, uh, you don't know like what they're actually doing and what they're uh, pushing to you and from where and why. Um, but uh, I mean, there's also like, so like I've never written an ad delivery platform, but, but uh, like, there's a lot of things you take into account for example you know the screen resolution the type of phone it is the apps that they have installed like if you can tell anything about the device right you can then decide what app uh what ad to serve like based on how much does the ad get because there's like i think it's five stages of clicks um from memory uh where there's like stage one is like viewing the ad stage two is like if they click the ad stage three 
is landing on the app store, I think, and then four is installing it and, and five is opening the app and you, and the payouts are like, uh, from the, um, the ad delivery companies from the affiliate networks are like per stage. Like that's from memory. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, like, but that's pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's, it's something close to that. So they couldn't, spring. Sorry? They, they couldn't spring for a 12 step program. <laughs> yeah, step one is, um, you know, admitting that you're uh, serving ads, but, um, the, the whole idea is that like, uh, you have like, as an ad deliver, like as somebody delivering these ads, you have to try and get the person to go through the steps to actually get paid because step, step one doesn't pay anything. Um, so I guess like this whole, this like ecosystem has come around of like, all right, let's just jam all the ads that are most likely to be opened by the person as well as like each ad pays out differently. So like one particular ad might pay out like $4.50 if they get to the fifth step, one ad might pay out like 20 cents. So you, you really want the like the $4.50 one to be served, but then you want to know that the person, like if the, if the person you're serving it to is never going to open it, like there's just this whole complex like yeah. system. Yeah, no, I mean, gets out of control with the amount of like incentivize incentivization it has for each individual thing like you can just make it it's the same as like a phishing campaign or any other malware campaign <laughs> just to figure out exactly how you can do data on um how many people are actually going to click it and like what the actual revenue is going to be from it and you can fine tune it to make sure that people are actually going to click on it just yeah fun. so this entire like this entire weaponized like c2 thing is is actually you know uh probably more common than we think i would say oh, yeah. that this is a really nice write-up of it but i wonder how many others exist like because that's if that's how you make money and people are still making money off this stuff like it's got to be fairly advanced right yeah definitely i definitely think it's it's there these are def are things that i know that are are out there and it just it gets crazier every time you see what people are actually doing um to actually you know, deploy this kind of stuff in the real world. So, um, but yo, the next story that we have in here is something everybody's been talking about. Um, this is Beta O'Rourke, who turned out to have been a member of uh, Cult of Dead Cal. It's pretty, uh, pretty good stuff here. Um, so people actually, kind of flipping out about it. What's up? I think my favorite part of this whole story was the CISP Googling uh, Twitter account where it just said Cult of Dead Cal. <laughs> like what is cult of dead like because it's one of those things that like i guess anyone who like anyone who's been around for you know a, a significant not even a significant amount of time like a period of time knows about cdc back office whatever like it's not it's not a secret or anything it's just interesting mm -hmm. that it was part of it and then there was a whole bunch of there's like a whole bunch of this new generation of people who are like what is the cult of the dead cow what you know it's quite i think that's the funniest part yeah absolutely I think though that it's it's definitely raised his profile in a lot of different circles because one a lot of people are excited that if say he were to become president he does seem to have had a, a decent amount of communication with people that are technically adept which is something that when you look at what the state of like you know our, our current cybers are uh, in the U.S. Uh, um, so we have Giuliani over here, whose uh, Juma website got hacked multiple times. Probably uh, does not 
have the uh, chops to actually secure us from like anything and be able to at least understand policy. He doesn't have to be like sitting there in the trenches, like, you know, writing code, but to be able to understand at least the context of uh, why people do things and how things go down online um, definitely seems like one of the more educated candidates in that field. Um, uh, be able to, he might actually be able to run an email server, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's important um, as well that uh, somebody with this kind of background hasn't, you know, their insight really is, I guess, the because there's more, ins I don't know, it's people these days who learn about social media and they learn about, uh, you know, through like on a tablet, like they've learned after the fact, have a very different view of people who were using the technology as it came through. So, Hey, not Dan, is that really you? It is really Dan. It's really Dan. He did. He tweeted out that he uh, lost his Discord account. Oh, okay. I was about to kick it. I was about to ban him and be like, "Fuck off!" But <laughs> he didn't confirm it is the real Dan, but I can't hear him. Um. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people also have been making a big deal about his writings and stuff. Um, CDC. I mean, obviously, they wrote a lot of weird shit. But, I mean, I don't know. He was like 15 when he wrote it, so I really don't see that big of a deal. I wrote way weirder stuff. Um, teenage poetry is always awful. But uh, you just see that apparently he's been live-tweeting his dentist visits since 1990. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely cool. I mean, I don't really even... Time will tell, I guess, what he, where he stands on other things and if, if he actually makes a good person to run in the race. But it gives hope on somebody who actually gives a shit about stuff and understands the cybers uh, like we do. So so wait, does does anyone outside of like, like is anyone still talking about this besides us? Make like, like no. I I don't think so. Wait, talking also, about Plato? No, the CDC stuff. Well, in oh. particular. Oh, I saw what was it? Uh Death Festival uh had put out a thing from from Sean Hannity that I saw like, I think it was yesterday. Uh, where he talks about uh, Colts of Dead Cow, and he just has no understanding like you would expect. And it's pretty awesome. I actually meant to put that as the uh, background image of a GIF that I was trying to make. Of, um... I think, you know, the, the, like, uh, this will reflect negatively with, like, the super normie people as well. Like, oh, it's like, like people still have said to me, like, you're an internet hacker, you're going to go to check. And I'm like, like, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. people still think hackers are bad um, in the in the general, like, oh, if you ever hack my Facebook account, like, whatever, it's like, dude, I don't even know who you are, yeah. and I'm never going to hack your Facebook account. Like, that's a really <laughs> weird thing. Please don't say that. That's, that's, that's makes it awkward and uncomfortable. But, oh, um, yeah. so I think there's those people who will see this, like, voters who are going to go, like, he was a hacker. Like, what a bad man. Like, whereas... Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily true at all. Well, also, like, I was wondering, like, to kind of get his, like, thought on it. And, like, I went to his Twitter account, and he didn't tweet about it at all, which shows that it's not something that he necessarily thinks is a, a positive thing, you know, going forward. Or probably wanted anyone to really dig into it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like they took some pretty good, great pains to actually prevent people from knowing that, which is... Pretty good upseg if you think about it. To hide it for that long, um, yeah. he rose to the ranks like a senator. Like he's not like 
he's on the Beelman public stage for a while now and no one knew. Um, so it's definitely interesting to see. I feel like he probably just doesn't want that to also overshadow everything else that he's doing, which I think is a smart move. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people though, like are just definitely going to keep misunderstanding it, um, which is predictable, but I think that I'll definitely watch what he does. And also, I want to send him a CLSSP. Um, so I'm going to do that um, later this week. We got his PO box. Oh God, that's great. <laughs> no, damn. No, it is damn. damn. Yeah, I had some issues, but I'm here. Hell yeah. Yeah, but it was it, like I saw somebody wrote, "Look at all these federal." Cr-. It was like a, I think a Republican senator or something calling him out for all of his federal crimes. <laughs> it was yeah. Ted Cruz. The the Zodiac. Oh, code. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were misdemeanors anyway, right? Like they weren't they weren't felonies at all. Yeah, probably. Well, they were back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, limitations, baby. <laughs> limitations. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely think that like people are gonna use it against him as much as they can, and they will look foolish for it. So it'll be funny to watch. Um. But yeah, so the next one is kind of uh, heavy. Uh, this one is about the New Zealand ISPs that are going to be blocking sites that fail to remove the uh, Christchurch shooting video. And so we've seen a lot of stuff about this, we've seen a lot of commentary about this, but I, I included this because this specifically deals with internet censorship. And um, it's such a hard fucking paradox for us to have to face as human beings and users of the internet and people who like both freedom of speech and privacy. Um, it's, yeah, I don't even know where to begin on it. So this was, uh, this is actually extended to Australia as well. Australia, uh, like Telstra, at least, they're actively blocking this as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, I don't know if it's, like, I don't think it's up to um, the ISPs to have to block this. I don't think it's a telecommunications issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a human problem. And that, yeah. uh, if you're if you're a human and you know you shouldn't be one of the things so Zach Whitaker that we uh, quote a lot from TechCrunch, he posted like, don't post the shooter's name like on Twitter. He posted, don't shoot, post the shooter's name, don't post his manifesto, don't post the videos. And the first goddamn response with the most likes and retweets was like a video of like part of the live stream. And I was like, yeah. son of a, like when I when I saw it, like the guy who posted, I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, People are going to keep doing this anyway, and ISPs mm-hmm. are going to futilely try and block it, which, I mean, they have the best intention at heart. Um, but when you look further on to, like, the Kiwi the Kiwi Farms um, stuff, um, did you guys see the post yeah. between? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, like, the responsibility of people not to share. Like, I know Kiwi Farms are, like, well-known for, like, milking, milking the local and, you know, whatever, but it's still, you know, this is a people thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's like it when I saw that the, I mean, when I saw that this thing had a, it was just straight up like a fucking eight chan thing, and the fact that I knew that there were just going to be people that were going to immediately start just only posting it out. I mean, like someone posted it in our Discord like an hour after it happened, <laughs> like. It's just oh, like dude. people are just they want to be edgy and shocking and have the most extreme thing. And it's it's just it's sad that that's just how people feel like they have to be um, to just try to, to do things without ever considering the fact that there's other people's 
um, you know, who might actually people who are in the server who are from New Zealand who might know people who have actually been involved in that. Like everything is a world away to people who just stay inside all day. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. that like uh, something that's like really important though to to remember is that having information out there is also critical to people being able to understand the world. And I think that like there's a I posted in the in the in the comment section on MySpace the uh, EFF's response, which was about uh, ways the websites and ISPs and tech companies can actually try to approach this, um, and that would be to like approach it with with by having more transparent guidelines of how you actually monitor content and actually being more sort of like upfront and have guidelines that are that differentiate between people who might be sharing something in order to raise awareness about something because it's a bad thing versus people who are doing it strictly to hurt others. Because there's people that have, I mean, the, the people have also brought up the fact that like ISIS did all, all those beheadings and stuff and how that was fine, even though like that wasn't fine, but people were sharing that kind of stuff because they were like, holy shit, this is happening. There's literally like, ISIS is beheading people in public and filming it with like 4K video cameras, you know? And so, like, it's it's fucked up because you don't want to propagate that and, and have people take that and think that it's okay to do or it's a normal thing that should be happening. But then you also don't want to censor it so that people don't know that it's happening. And it's just like it's such a paradox that I feel like a lot of people completely miss when they just think that oh, I just want to be able to share it because I want to be cool on, online. Like, it's just there's I don't know. There's way too much at stake or at play yeah. here. And then also on the other on the other hand, right? When you have the less news organizations you have posting something, right? The greater like uh, the financial payoff is to post it, right? In a in one way, right? Because if you're mm -hmm. the only person who posts a thing yeah, on the internet, you're going to get all the pages for that thing. Mm -hmm. So it creates a financial incentive for people to post it when yeah. other people aren't. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's, that, there's different layers involved too. I mean, you've got your ISPs at one layer, but then you've got the various platforms uh, which operate at a, a whole different layer and have an entirely separate locus of control. So yeah. they, they are based in different areas. I mean, Facebook and Twitter and such are not based in New Zealand. So New Zealand's ability to respond to content on Facebook and Twitter and such is going to be inherently limited in that sense. Yeah, so well, it's, it's unfortunately, very though, thing. sorry, for, I was just going to say on that, like, fortunately, New Zealand is part of Five Eyes, and this is <clears> under, you know, it's a terror attack. It's attack on, you know, it's to cause terror. So I'm sure that the, that anyone working, you know, the Five Eyes are working together, that New Zealand law enforcement are probably working very closely with US law enforcement. And, you know, where it's being hosted in, the US, regardless of if that person is or isn't out of the country, like I'm sure that someone's, you know, someone in that in the FBI office is working very closely. That's that's what I would definitely guess. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we had some good comments on the chat. Sorry, what were you gonna say, Remy? Oh well, I I was <laughs> I wasn't sure I was gonna say anything, but I unmuted my mic and got all this attention now. But like, <laughs> you you know, I think there's a I just want to ask a basic question, right? Why, why is the video getting suppressed, right? Because I can think of a bunch of possible explanations, but they all have 
weird uh, responses. Like, I don't particularly like seeing the World Trade Center towers exploding, but there's not really uh, a movement to not show that on, like, every chance they can get on television. Yeah. So I think the one of the reasons that this is being suppressed so hard is because you're clearly seeing uh, as many people, like al- like almost equal numbers of people being killed of the, the Vegas shooter, right? And this is close up. This is body cam footage. This is like legit. Um, like I haven't watched the footage myself. I saw some snippets that I'd rather, that I wish I'd never seen. Um, and, you know, it's, it's people... Yeah. Like if you're a kid and you see this as a kid, like, like you know, like I don't want to be all like protect the children or whatever, but really, like this will burn into your brain. Like this yeah. kind of shit burns into your brain, and you don't need to see it. If you choose to see it, it's one thing, but I then you gotta wonder why. It's like any of the gore videos, right? But this one's different in the sense that going back to kind of what read me what you were getting at is I think it's because it's self produced by the actual terrorist himself and because he produced and released it like it wasn't the news media that filmed airplanes doing something anomalous this was a guy that filmed produced and edited his own uh death video and i think that's why it's being treated a lot differently okay yeah i can i can feel that right because he wanted it to be seen so it's a response it's a response to him wanting it to be seen by saying, no, we're not going to watch it. It's, it's definitely perhaps... classified as a snuff film. I think like you would cla- like, this would be classified as, as snuff people watching it for the sake of seeing people. And, and perhaps we can come to a, a conversation uh, about the nature of, uh, well, for lack of a better term, terrorist propaganda and the appropriate responses and such as as they've evolved over the 21st century, which sounds kind of like a college course at this point. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that blocking videos of the event is a lot easier in this case when there's one video of the event there it's not like it was happened in a field or you know in a in an open environment it happened in a you know in an enclosed space where there was you know anyone who was in that space was not thinking to film um, and like i don't know how many people even made it out of that place but it's uh just technically more feasible to block something when there's only one actual video of the event you could you know, yeah. a lot more with, and it says Facebook blocked over 1.2 million uploads of the video uh, because of that. Yeah, I, I think as well, like the like the manifesto, which I also refuse to read, um, but I know people have like have mentioned parts of it to me as well. Um, he wrote this in weeks uh, prior to, or however long it's been, I think two years in the planning or something. Another man was arrested um, by, he shared a meme about a week earlier that was like, you know, in when I say meme, I mean in meme, like the, the, the standard meme format these days, uh, you know, the, the impact font, whatever, um, of like, I think it said uh, target, target acquired or something with a picture of the mosque. Um, yeah. And that guy was also arrested, um, like, because he, he obviously had some knowledge of the attack prior to it happening. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So like this is um like obviously a Chana thing. Like a lot of the the comments that the guy made in in the manifesto that I've seen around are like ridiculous. Oh. Like. I don't think he's a very smart person and he's chosen, well, obviously he's not a very smart person, but he's chosen to represent himself in court as well. Um, which <laughs> just means that Good. he's, Welcome. he knows he's going to jail forever. Like yeah. that's a given. Um, there's no death penalty in New Zealand, but he's going to go into court and he's going to spout his bullshit, like his hate speech in court because he's representing himself and then just go to jail forever. So I think yes, we'll see that. Sorry, gone. Hey, it's the uh, Brevik playbook. Yeah, and I, I think we'll see that the most of the court proceedings will be suppressed simply out of not spreading his mess, letting him spread his mess. Yeah, I mean, it's I definitely. So we're going back to what I was looking at in the chat. Um, hold on, let me scroll up. There's a lot of good, lot of good chat in here. Um, but yeah, so Bobby Blam said that people are sharing it as entertainment, which is like probably one of the 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 most just like yeah, fucked up thing about it is that people are, are are doing this kind of thing they see this as like entertainment they think it's cool they think it's like funny they want to they want to like you know look at what this guy's doing because it's it's funny because he's saying the stupid like memes from 8chan like it's just because people are doing that like they see it as almost just like part of like some like larger like game narrative that they have because they don't take anything seriously you know like people just who never had anything bad happen to them who just get to sit at home and and um, you know, live at their parents' house, like just get fed pizza rolls by their mom all day, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Literally, like those are the people who think this is cool and think this is funny, and they just will go and just they're propagating it because they think it's their right to do so, and they think it's their entertainment. In our space as well, like there's development, uh, there's places that build apps and stuff. Like there's developers and stuff who work like within a couple of blocks of that place as well. Mm-hmm. So they're they're likely to be in the same sphere, like same chat rooms, same Slack channels and stuff as edgy teen lords that are like, you know, teen edge lords, whatever. They're like um, spreading the kind of stuff. And, you know, you don't, that when, if you go to spread it before, if you are the kind of person who's going to spread it, just think like you you might be spreading it to somebody whose loved one is getting killed in that video. Like you don't know that you have no idea who, like when you're spreading this. So. Mm-hmm. Like that might make it around and like do you if if it was you would you want to see someone that you love being killed like definitely not like yeah fucked up. people though just they they can't really understand that until it's it's too late i mean i i would admit to when i was younger being super into like the just the most fucked up videos because it was extreme you know and a lot of people do that when they get on the internet because they they find that kind of content and they're like this is interesting it's like it, it goes from there's divergent paths from morbid curiosity to like actually thinking, like believing in that sort of thing, um, or coming to terms with it and being this is fucked up. Like I never want to see this stuff again. You know, yeah. like I'm at that point now where I'm like I don't ever want I don't want to see gore. You know, yeah. I've seen enough of the worst shit of fucking humanity. Yeah. And I don't want to see any more of it. But there's people that are still in that stage, and it's it's because there's so much content and so many specific platforms. People can just stay in that hole forever. And just never, never ever leave the uh, the sort of like weird cycle of like just look at weird death pictures and and you know try to you know hurt other people online and just gang well, up everybody. And, and you've yeah. also got the the naive suggestion algorithms that seem to be extremely popular, where 
to use the Amazon example, I see you've bought a horse. How would you like 12 more? Yeah. Uh, which applies to the YouTube video thing, which applies to, well, it's, it's the easiest one to implement if you think about it. They watch this. They spent a lot of time on this. We want to shell out a whole bunch of ad money. Hey, let's just keep shoveling more in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should really move on to this. We've been talking about it yeah, for a while. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, I just wanted to finish it off with uh, the Prime Minister of Australia is an idiot and he wants to suspend all live streaming. So let's keep going. Yes, okay. Uh-huh. All righty. So, so speaking of people trying to control stuff that they can't control, Devin Nunes suing Twitter for allowing accounts to insult him. This is the funniest thing that I've seen in a while. Um, so Devin Nunes has been getting mocked by tons of different people, specifically uh, the Devin Nunes or Devin Cow parody account. Um, and he put up, what is it, twenty two $250 million lawsuit against Twitter and the accounts uh, and damages. This is insane. The thing, the thing that like you, so he's also turned it from it just being slander uh, to Twitter is actively trying to deplatform and and uh, shadow ban conservatives. It's just a weird, like, just I don't know. <laughs> it's just really grasping at here trying to uh, get this whole thing to work. Somebody needs good. to throw an egg at his head. <laughs> I, I, I think it's good. It's like. Who's the, who? Who specifically is the, are the trolls? Like when you have like a bunch of troll accounts that are just like nameless, faceless people. Like who who are the trolls and how are you shadow banning all of them and how are they not creating new accounts? Lol. Like you just have no understanding of the internet, fool. Yeah, I think I think I said that the other day. <laughs> it's like people blame all that kind of stuff on it, but then realize maybe no one actually cares what we have to say. Um, you notice the followers on the cow account went from like twelve hundred to. I don't even know what it is at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah it's definitely like a Streisand effect kind of thing that now people are just creating endless, endless accounts with Nunez where if you search Devin Nunez, other accounts show up before his, which is just at Devin Nunez. So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely getting out of control because people are obviously gonna keep making meme accounts and you can just there's there's just you can endless make endless accounts, you know, about this. And so I think that by trying to, you know, sue all the different accounts, it's just it's fruitless. It's like just like trying to to sue everybody who's into a spam email. It's just like it's never gonna happen. And like it sucks though that like then if he does make any headway with it, then it could lead to some other legal challenges down the road for people who just want to make like uh, you know Nunes on security, which I don't think has been taken. Um, like account, you know, it just it's it sucks because. People have the freedom of speech and they have parody specifically, um, which is what, like, say the CLSSP falls under, um, where you say something with, you know, with a good faith that this is parody or satire, uh, but then people take that seriously and want to make a huge stink out of it. And if any um, a, a platforms, uh, you know, comply to that, then that um, makes it ultimately easier for people down the road to, to use that as precedent. Um, so I'm glad that Twitter is, I guess, fighting against this, but it just sucks that he's trying to do it. I, I, I mean, people have tried to subpoena troll accounts in Australia before, and like they just guess who the person is, and it doesn't work, so it doesn't work. <laughs> is it in the California court? If it is, haha, you already lost. <laughs> so, uh, it's probably time we go into the next one. We're running out of time for a news. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the uh, next one here too interesting. Um, 
This is multi-factor auth uh, bypass on a ton of Office 365 and G Suite um, by just password spraying on IMAP, which bypasses multi-factor auth. Um, and so it says that there's something about 60% of all MS365 and G Suite tenants have been targeted using um, IMAP. And 25% um, of those were successful. Um, so so IMAP disabled by default, right? Mm -hmm. On G Suite, so I guess, uh, yeah, IMAP G Suite. Well, if yeah, you, I mean, uh, if, if you, yeah, you don't need to enable it. Most clients support their own uh, authentication method now. So yeah, but it what it just it, it definitely shines a light though on the fact that there is a lot of that backwards compatibility you need for older services that you know there might be whole giant organizations that might use some sort of like hosted Office 365 or something somewhere. And then they have to just backwards compatibility to all their email clients and then do some other hacky stuff. But then ultimately that will just put them at risk because of people who are just going to spend all day hitting their IMAP uh, or hitting IMAP with, uh, with passwords, um, try to get they, like, uh, they haven't migrated their, uh, they haven't migrated their proc, my, proc mail to SNS topic. Yeah. Also, just on the Devin Nunez cow thing, uh, going back, I just looked up the his like historical th um, like follower count, and it's up uh, two hundred thirty thousand followers. Oh, well, at least they're getting the word out that that account is bad and nobody should listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> from, from, from five thousand, it's Devin's cow, right? He yeah. should have taken Devin Bart Simpson's uh, advice there. But uh, they don't have a cow, man. Exactly. <laughs> on the, on the, uh, the IMAP thing, though, like the successful breaches, most attackers logged in on Nigerian IP addresses. So Nigerian princes are beating IMAP, guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> crap. Wow. I didn't see that part of the story. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So Nigerian princes are beating you if you're using IMAP. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, shout out to Lagos. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's definitely uh, oh, check that out because G Suite and, and Office 365 make it really easy to have these sort of environments. Uh, but definitely uh, make sure that you know what you're doing if you're going to be doing something like this. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and then the last one on here, um, I kind of just threw on here in case we got to it. Um, it's just somebody just putting up 20 million, 26 million user record for sale on the dark web. But a lot of this stuff is just weird sites I've never heard of. And it, it sucks that they got breached and they're being sold. But what is uh what is like youth manual Indonesian youth student and career site? It just it, it I don't know. It doesn't really matter because whoever they are and they get breached, Troy Hunt's gonna make money off it, and it will show up in your uh, password because oh, someone had the same password as you. Yeah. So somebody got my Booklapak email, and, and it's gonna show up in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of people on here. I don't it's DB size. I think that means 13 million credentials. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a lot. That's a lot of of data. Um, and it might just be I might just be because I'm not in this part of the world that I'm not using these kind of apps. But um, yeah, it's definitely somebody just doing doing the thing where they just try to sell it online for Bitcoin and someone's gonna buy it and then eventually it'll get dumped. Um, I think we're already there. Yeah, we're we're. I was gonna ask, when do you think we get numb to this? But I think we're there. Yeah, I think we're pretty much numb to it, unless it's something huge, like really massive, you know. 
I mean, yeah. if you look at can the, we uh, talk about? Oh, can we talk about how this guy's trying it for one million uh, Indonesian youth student and career site records? Uh, that are salted, salted Shaw one trying to get uh, 0.144 bitcoins for it. Yeah, and trying to do it for the the Booklepack ones too. Like who, like salted shot five twelve. Like yeah, who's I mean, there who's is IP address in there too. But there's other there's other meta info in there. But I guess you could discern if you're specifically targeting like Indonesian youths. But it's definitely right. I feel like people are. are when they try to evaluate value out these things, it's it's just very strange. They try to like make it seem like it's more valuable than it is. I don't know. I don't know what the value of someone's hobbies are specifically. <laughs> with but... the, with assaults, like I was seeing that like in those tables, assault like the the SHA one plus salt that the salt is also in the table, right? Oh yeah, it's just plus salt. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's gonna be you know there as well. So uh, cracking them won't be that big of a deal like it will be obviously take significantly longer but if you got a bunch of you know x bitcoin mining rigs lying around it's it's not gonna take that long for sha one yeah absolutely um yeah so also we got a couple of cool um good reads and uh cheat codes uh thanks to dnoise and xx not dan xx for your comments <laughs> there's some pretty good tvs though that we should uh, definitely check out the maple story one uh <laughs> maple, yeah, story. maple story privilege escalation to uh nt authority system oh yeah. wow that's great <laughs> Fucking and, uh, amazing. yes the maple story players look out beautiful stuff hey yo so yeah we should um definitely get into our uh, interview now so follow me uh, here. before that just big shout out to Alex Dade and Comrade Evie for subscribing oh, thank you for subscribing to us uh, I saw that at the same time I was we were talking about heavy stuff so I was doing want to be like shout outs to these people like <laughs> don't <laughs> like and subscribe like just be real real 2019 about it um but yeah let me take a look here we got Harold we got Verbal we got uh Moonin and uh the Vayux Hi. Uh, <laughs> well, hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome. What's up? Howdy, howdy. Hey. What's up? Hey. So, um, you guys are part of Blue Team Village. We sure yeah. are. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, uh, I guess, do you want to just jump right into it and just say, well, first of all, introduce yourselves and then tell us a little bit about Blue Team Village? Oh, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> sure, hello. Yeah, uh, so I'm Munin. Um, I'm one of the folks who runs this uh, this rather crazy thing that managed to get some blue team content into DEF CON. So that's kind of an interesting uh, bit of fun right there. Um, I'm that uh, one private account that shows up on Twitter with the transparent avatar and is very grumpy and cantankerous. <laughs> Good stuff. Hi, um, I'm Verbal, uh, the Australian one. <laughs> um, I obviously help run Blue Team Village too. I do like a lot of the swag and the social media stuff and um, all that sort of fun, fun designing stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Welcome. All right. So uh, go by Harold. 
that's what happens when you hang out when uh with people when you you don't have a handle so i <laughs> so i signed up with uh with blue team bills last year and it was kind of funny i signed up as like a general volunteer so i didn't have a lot of responsibilities right but i wanted to be involved and uh I don't know what the hell happened, but somehow I'm a coordinator and we're working on this thing nonstop year round. Awesome. Welcome. And I guess the fourth member of our foursome is either not paying attention or uh, has his microphone acting up. That's uh, uh, Clay. He's. Uh, um, I was muted. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Yeah, so clay ball or the Vox, um, that's a puzzle figured out and um, no one has yet. So, yeah. So, yeah, I joined Blue Team Village last year. Super excited. Um, felt really good about year one. Looking really forward to um, to this year. So, um, yeah. And thanks for, for having us. Hell yeah. Thanks for being on. Hey, sorry, I was just adjusting some levels real quick. But yo, so I guess do you guys want to tell us a little bit about what Blue Team Village is, um, just from a high level? <laughs> well, uh, we are defensively focused. Uh, the the traditional um, DEFCON hacker conference type thing is usually unapologetically attack focused. I mean, that's that's half the fun, isn't it? Is is breaking things, is doing lead hacks. And we are focused more on the defensive side, uh, detecting, stopping, and sometimes subverting these lead hacks uh, to figure out ways to keep our our assets, our organizations, our, our families safe. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily as an oppositional thing, but as a way to, to build and grow uh, defensive knowledge and defensive infrastructure uh, for you know the benefit of anyone who cares to uh, come along and hang out with us. Yes. Awesome. I sort of look at it from a different point of view whenever I come into, you know, looking at technology in general. All the people that go to DEF CON, right, they go back. Most people are blue teamers in their day jobs. So... You know, for me, a lot of times I'll spend half my time studying offensive tactics and, you know, all the exploits are out there, but that's really only half of it. You know, like breaking things is the easy mode, um, <laughs> completely ignoring the, the other side of that. Like, you know, the, the real work, I think, is learning how to defend those and, you know, everything else that comes along with it. Because you break it, you go to the next thing and break it and you go to the next thing, but you're missing the second half, you know. So to me, blue team is is both you learn offensive and defensive. That's absolutely yeah. cool. We, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, definitely had a lot of focus on being cynical uh, breakers of things. We have a lot, um, you know, it's always good and refreshing to hear from people who have perspectives on how to fix stuff because we say, oh, this is broken, you got to fix it. But, you know, it's, it's difficult to sometimes provide solutions that make sense, not even just solutions, but ones that are actually applicable in the real world. And that's where many people like you guys do. Uh, Come in and tell us what to do. <laughs> yeah, that really uh, hits the nail on the head there. Um, I mean, how often have we seen people who have gone and vigorously broken something and say, well, okay, just patch it and you'll be fine? Well, yes, patching is, is good. I like patching. Patching makes me very happy. But sometimes it may be some period of time before a patch can get applied because of 
velocity of patching within your organization because you have uh, some kind of god-awful legacy horrible thing that will not take the patch and and you must use this old broken revision in order to actually use your two million dollar mri or what have you enter the bureaucracy yeah well that that never helps either (laughs) layer we, we, we we've got layer seven for the application level we got layer eight for the user and then layer nine is the user's management and that's the hard one i like that it also it sounds like you're talking about uh ICS. Sounds oh <laughs> <laughs> I mean it applies other places too. But sure. Exactly. <laughs> good Lord. Yeah, that's uh that's good stuff. I mean, especially with DEF CON, um the, the types of CTF and the style of CTF there is all uh you don't have to do the write up part of the red teaming and the attacking. So you get to do all the fun stuff and uh and not the kind of crappier part about that job, but with blue teaming, the kind of crappier part about the blue teaming stuff is the entire thing. It's more spread out. So <laughs> that makes sense. Reports for the past. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously though, I think we are all somewhat masochists just as by our nature as being blue teamers. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but there's also the blue team side of things has some very similar qualities to the red team side of things. Um, we like figuring out puzzles. We like um, solving difficult challenges that we're confronted with. Um, so we're like the sort of two sides of the same coin, but, um, yeah, but yeah we have a lot more in common, I think, than people realize. And a very good re- red teamer would make a very good, an, an even better blue teamer, right? Yeah. Like that Definitely. really will, will, um, um, oh, yeah, the yeah. Uh, experience does synergize nicely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say so too. I mean, I see people that also are good blue teamers that would be excellent red teamers when you're like, where does this actually point to? Like, what is this? I don't even know what this firewall is. What is this? application and like oh well yeah you just <laughs> like this and then you just, just like, secure it but there's a bug in it and i knew i bought that bug but we hadn't patched it yet like those are the people that actually know how things actually work instead of having to spend as much time as we do reading the docs and reverse engineering things so. sure right right and and i think the blue team village is, gives us that opportunity to collaborate and to come together and mm-hmm. to share our stories and to share our experiences um and learn from each other so what kind of projects and events uh, do you do at the Blue Team Village uh, during DEF CON, like uh, during DEF CON proper? Oh, boy, we are right in the thick of planning all that. <laughs> uh, big, huge, enormous shout out, however, to our lovely CTF folks, because we have one of the very, very few defensive-oriented CTFs associated with us. So of our very good friend uh, Eric there. Open yeah, sock. It's, it's pretty yeah. interesting. There we so, go. It's a different take on the CTFs for sure. So you know. Yeah. So they CTFs they set up. Too. They have different scenarios, right? That's what their their CTF presents you with, um, and um, a handful of open source tools um, that that you have access to. Um, to pull in all of this data and use. 
So you can write your own sort of queries to find things, but there are scenarios that you can that you run through that are um, start off fairly easy, but get more and more complicated as you go along. Um, so yes, we're we're, we're happy to have them back this year. Um, but we're also interested in having other hands-on things for people to do. Um, so we're working out those details at the moment. Yeah, we'll be having some workshops and stuff. Um, I mean, we've recently opened our call for talks and our call for workshops. Um, so I think that's something that we're really focusing on this year is just as much hands-on kind of like, you know, blue team hacker-like kind of stuff that we can get in there. There's a, a couple other things that we want to try out. Uh, a meet a mentor type session where people can uh, socialize with those who are uh, potentially able to give them uh, guidance outside of DEF CON. But uh, we'll see what we can do in terms of uh, getting people who are willing to uh, engage in that kind of activity first. Yeah, if you're interested, reach out to us by all means. Well, we're always interested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry, I haven't really said my thing on here. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess, do you want to get into a little bit about um, how y'all started this uh, to create a village? Um, <laughs> Interesting story. Um, it's, yeah. it's a long and convoluted story. and No, it's not. <laughs> it's like a love story. It really, really is. I don't know what kind of rom-coms you've been watching, my friend. <laughs> um, so is it like a Romeo and Juliet or a Midsummer Night's Dream? Romeo no, it's Midsummer more like Night's a comedy Dream. of errors. I would take everybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's probably a different story from everybody. <laughs> I mean, um, if, if anyone's really to blame at this point, um, I kind of got the others roped into it as we were trying to See, none of us had actually done this village thing before, and nah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of, I got it suggested to me by Highwiz, I think it was that I ought to put in uh, along with with uh, Gomer there uh, to get Blue Team Village going, and then things kind of got out of control. And... Yeah, Farticus didn't help with that either, did he? Well, he didn't help. <laughs> In, he just got things way. out of control real quick. So, yeah, um, long story short, all of a sudden, there we are, finally meeting in person for the first time, the Wednesday immediate... Wednesday? Was it Wednesday? It was Wednesday night, wasn't it? Yep. yep. Yeah, when, it was like yep. Wednesday night, yeah. Yeah, Wednesday night, I finally meet these people for the first time. Uh, and our, After, our like, family. spending almost every Saturday Skyping each other for, like, a year. <laughs> right. Right, uh, and and of course, our, our dear departed friend Devnal uh, was like instrumental yeah. in, in getting things actually working, and there we are at uh, at Caesar's Palace the Wednesday before, actually meeting each other in person for the first time, and going, "Oh, wow! So that's what you look like, huh?" Um, yeah, everything everything just kind of fell in place. You know, the ball just started get to get rolling. Um, Munin and I started figuring things out. Uh, Harold got on board. Verbal got on board. We just we had a started bunch. chatting. 
great volunteers too who showed yes, up absolutely yeah and then yeah, yeah it, it, it as it happened there was this whole question of well we were going to have to clear out early one of the days for a wedding and then there was just one thing after another and then finally... to put a bit of context behind the wedding because <laughs> yeah. people, people got the idea. Oh, yeah so there was actually a, <laughs> there was actually a wedding booked in our um booked in our route in our um blue team village that night so we had to do a pack down and a full pack up the next day that was fun <laughs> uh, and, and then of course you know we opened the doors and there was just people. Like, we, we, yeah, we had like 300 shirts behind the table. Everything was gone in like four minutes. Just literally, it's like just and it was, gone. Yeah. I, I spent the day in, in a very mild panic attack because I didn't realize so many people would even get there because we were kind of tucked out of the way there. And then, of yeah, course, it's pretty crazy, fun, actually. Uh, the fun line management issues with sky talks because our lines were touching that was always uh don't cross the streams oh the streams <laughs> cross there so yeah it was wildly successful beyond anything i dreamed of um so we decided afterwards well hell we're insane we're all masochists let's do it again yes uh, yeah, and and we're uh, working on uh, doing some expansion. Uh, uh, we're in talks with Circle City Con to have a little presence there, uh, get a little workshop going on there, and uh, yeah, see uh, exactly how far can we push this idea. Yeah, we've definitely expanded like a lot this this year. Like we've got a bunch of um, leads who are volunteers that stepped up and are helping us out. Um, so yeah, we've had a um, we've got a pretty successful year so far. So uh, it's been what great. could I expect? Like if I'm working up to the blue team village, like what what can I expect? Just so people have an idea of like why they want to come. Oh my! Um, well, well, I mean, this year we're some. we're really focusing on. I mean, we're kind of getting kind of the hands on. I mean, obviously, we still we're talking about before kind of the overlap between the blue team and red team. Like, you know, we've got we're still kind of going for that really kind of cool sort of atmosphere with like, you know, just really chill and um, chill vibes and stuff. But still having kind of that hands on um, experience with, you know, the workshops and um, we're planning on having talks as well. But I think, you know, this year we're really, really honing in on the workshops. Yeah, we want to get as much uh, interactive and participatory content going as possible. Uh, yeah. what are, like, what what would be what what are some of the workshops you've run before? Like, what do you think was the most successful one that uh, people got to, to participate? Plural, he says, as though we've done this more than once. Uh, <laughs> traffic analysis. Just, just say that you have. It's okay. Yeah, the packet traffic analysis. Yeah, that went that sold out in like twenty minutes. Yeah, that and was. There were free yeah. tickets, but they all the tickets were re released in like twenty minutes. Yeah, we actually yeah, sold some tickets before we made it public. Like, what the fuck? How do people know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You um, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Actually, we had we ended up having like what was like two hundred and fifty people in this workshop. It was nuts. So yeah, there's that. We've got the. Um, 
we've got our, our wonderful friends uh, at OpenSaw uh, bringing back the, the CTF this year. Uh, they did an absolutely fantastic job last year. And by the looks of what I've been seeing, uh, it's going to be even better this year. Uh, they've, they've really gone absolutely full bore and putting together a really great uh, setup to, to run this thing. Yeah, for uh, sure. So really looking last forward to total, I think there were roughly around 300 people playing, you know, around the clock for the entire time. And I think mm -hmm. the ones that are that are doing that, you know, to where they they kind of got outside that box of the vulnerable virtual machines, you know, finding the flags. Whereas this, you know, you're doing incident response, and you know, the guys that are over at Trace Labs doing the open source intelligence CTFs. I think the ones that are getting outside of that standard uh, template for CTFs, I think they're really going to start to take off in the next year or two. Yeah, it it and the the level of of participation for that was frankly astonishing to me. I mean, there, they had a, uh, there was that uh, that party that night, uh, the, the Lonely Hackers Club party. Apparently, like there were a bunch of people in the corner just hacking away on the CTF. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The one, one really awesome thing that uh, OpenSock did was they used uh, zero tier to, um, uh, that people um, basically ask, accessed the CTF via that mechanism. So they could go anywhere at DEF CON and participate. So they didn't have to be inside the village, but they would come there, register in person, get the face-to-face -face, um, interaction, and then they could sit and hang out, which um, a lot of them did, of course. Um, but yeah, it gave them the freedom, the flexibility to move around and still participate. I saw people uh, after whose slide was it anyway? Uh, as I was walking out of there, I saw people doing that CTF in the halls over nice. at Caesar. And that was like, whoa, that is, uh, nice. that is, it's a really great CTF apparently. I wish I had the time to actually do anything with it. <laughs> Did you want to give a real quick overview of kind of how it works and like some of the more intricate ins and outs maybe? Uh, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure because I was busy doing other things during all of that. Yeah, I, I was kicking the tires the night before the village opened. Um, um, they were going through some of their scenarios and everything. Um, so that was awesome. I, I'm thrilled to have that opportunity. But so I kind of mentioned this before where they have um, scenarios set up. So, and you can run through the scenario. So say the scenario is a phishing attempt. Okay, so that's where it starts. Um, so you use these various tools to uh, figure out an answer to one of the questions. So it is pretty much like a Jeopardy style, right? Um, CTF. And so, but you get that and then you go on to the next. Um, you don't have to do them sequentially, of course, um, but it's built um, in that fashion. Um, so you can go sequentially through the scenario, um, or you can jump around. Um, and of course, if you're working with a team, you got a couple people with you, you can, you can spread it out. You can spread the love. Everyone can be working on something a little bit different. Um, and this year they're, um, they're, what they're going to do is apply for, um, being, um, like badge. Black badge, yes. So we'll see how that goes. 
but they're doing everything in their power to make that happen. Um, everything's going to be self-contained. It's going to be portable, yada, 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 lots of upgrades. Um, so yeah, we're very excited to have them back and to see where, where that takes them, you know, and us. Yeah, I hear they're actually changing it up a little bit this year. They're still going to use some of the open source software they used last year, like the Graylog, Collide, Waza, um, you know, other, other software like that. But I think that they're they're going to change it a bit, so it's not the exact same this year. So it should just get better and better. Yeah, I know the hardware has yeah, well, got quite an upgrade. They've gone from a, a couple of NUCs to I think like two. Oh, it's two one of those four U cases. It's it's a thing of beauty. I I like literally started salivating when he posted that picture. So uh, yeah, that what, what would you like so cool. What would you like people to take away? Like when they come to the blue team village, what do you want them to take home with them after seeing all this like red team stuff and all this like attacker stuff? Like what, what are some takeaways you think that uh, people can sort of. They're going to learn something. They're going <laughs> to learn something, you know, and even, even if it's how to use new tools or how to find um, different sorts of evil in the, in, in an environment, um, I don't know, but they're they're gonna learn something, guaranteed. I think one of the things that uh, I, I heard most uh, last year was that they appreciate many of the people I spoke to appreciated having that kind of perspective uh, available to them uh, in that venue, uh, so that they could go to all these talks on breaking things. But they they liked having the representation of, of, well, okay, here's the other side of the story. Here's this other perspective. And in some cases, uh, it, it may inspire people that, you know, you, you can actually do defensive work. It's, it's, it's a valid skill set to have. Absolutely. It may not always be the most exciting, you know, main stage, look at us all cheering the release of back orifice, but, uh, you can get some really cool stuff done and it can occasionally on very rare occasions when the stars are just right and the moon is aligned it'd be kind of fun it's always fun <laughs> well okay it's it's fun for us it may not necessarily be <laughs> fun for other people because we are, of course, shameless masochists. Yeah, and there, there's, <laughs> there, there's so, there's so many topics um, on the defensive side. You know, it's not just stopping bad things from happening. It's not just patching. It's not just updating your, you know, making sure you have AV on every machine, all that BS. But there's, you know, incident response. Um, there's um, forensics. You know, there's how do you do those sorts of things? There's also something that's dearly close to my heart. It's taking red team tools and corrupting them for blue team uses. <laughs> yes, yes. That's fun. So, so piggybacking off of what DNZ said, though, um, I was going to ask at the same time as he asked his, uh, what kind of skills um, are you specifically trying to build, if any, um, with your village? Like, is, is there, as blue teamers, is there any core skills that you really want to, um, I guess, put out there and develop with people um, so that you can even potentially hire them? Well, I, I don't know about hiring because um, we, we certainly try and, and, and promote people as much as we can, certainly. But um, the, one of the things that we made a conscious decision uh, to promote this year 
uh, was in fact uh, DFER, uh, so Digital Forensics and Instant Response. Um, we have a lot of interest uh, for that within our existing volunteers. And we had a lot of comments that people want to see more of that. So that is, uh, that's one of the items that we are definitely going to focus more on this year uh, than we did last year. I'm still pushing for the fishing research. Well, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Woodson. I know we're also going to be planning some like networking events, I guess, you know, as well for, um, you know, for people to, you know, blue teamers to network with each other as well. So, you know, we're planning on having, um, you know, our talks in sort of one area and kind of a networking area um, in the other section. So people can just, you know, mingle and hang out and talk and, um, you know, chat about, um, you know, blue team stuff. That's great. That's very good. Is, um, I had a quick question. I don't think anybody's touched on it yet. Are you guys going to plan on doing anything with Hackback? Yeah. <laughs> So perhaps if the right talk shows up in our queue or the right workshops shows up in our queue, we might consider it. Um, I, I, I would say I'm yes. not going to push that myself <laughs> because... I think the, the laws are stupid, but yeah, there should be some level of responsible um, offensive defensive tactics. What I mean by that is like, say you go out and you configure a mail filter to try and avoid phishing. Some of it's still going to get through. But, you know, you, you take those ones that do get through, you can still go after those domains, you know, take down requests, things like that. But you can also run tools on it to where, um, you know, you, you run back and you scan every single domain on that same host, usually on a shared host like GoDaddy. There's a thousand domains on there. So you scan them all looking for those zip files, those open directories. Um, you know, if you can identify all their infrastructure, send those takedown requests, you can take down their whole organization at once and disrupt their, uh, their operations. I think that's an area that doesn't have enough research, but it is a way that through defensive, using offensive tactics, you can still defend the network that way. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at too. Is that it would be it would be somewhat controversial in the first place because it's a yeah. controversial idea, right? But it also, whether it fails or not, could show here are the pitfalls of it potentially. It gets into that whole messy, messy question of attribution too. Um, Right. I, I, I will be much more talkative about this if it's not being recorded. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I have plenty of opinions, but they're not really suitable for public consumption. So yeah. Come see us at Blue Team Village Mall. This is one beer or drink of human's choice. Sega. The price of one beer or any other drink of your choice. So I'll done. take a shot of whiskey. <laughs> what is it? I'll take a shot of whiskey, Irish preference. <laughs> there you go. Verbal, what's your uh, drink? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. I like the vodka pineapple. All right. Really tropical, you know, vodka <laughs> pineapple, maybe chucking some Malibu in there. <laughs> I like it. Love that Malibu. Hmm? You love that Malibu. Mm, yes, love the tropical <laughs> tropical taste. Uh, we got to get you over to one of the tiki bars and uh, get your get your <laughs> dark. And if you get me there, I'll probably I'll probably never leave. Otherwise, 
<laughs> okay, so after DEF CON. Okay. Yes, that'd be the best. Just before the plane ride. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What about you, not Dan? Oh, um, I don't know. It depends on uh, what year it is. Uh, last year it would have been like Sprite, Dr. Pepper. Yeah. This year it might be movies. I don't know. It depends on Up soda. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Get you a lacrosse. Crump soda. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We'll see what we can do. That's the new icing. Get somebody with a lacrosse. <laughs> Maybe some of that like Foss water. Like some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Oh my! Well, what kind of uh, talks are you looking for for um, this year? You were talking about like defer and stuff like that, and hack back <laughs> if someone did it. But I guess what sort of content um, specifically are you looking for? Because we see a lot of really diverse content, and then we also have a lot of really really specific content in the different villages. And I'm just wondering, in case anybody is listening here who'd want to present something, um, what kind of things you would be interested in seeing? So anything defensive is fair game, um, even if it's only just primarily defensive. Uh, we will certainly give it a read over and, and a, a careful and fair evaluation. Um, I will note that uh, I'm not the one in charge of of making these selections, so I can just yeah, we uh, review it off as a big of team. <laughs> I think um, we all have our personal preference of what kind of talks we like to see. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm definitely interested in seeing Defer, uh, because we do want to have more of a focus for that this year. Um, anyone who talks about repurposing tools outside of their intended use for defensive purposes has my attention. Yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, that's... I'm a huge fan of tool repurposing for sure. And is there anywhere people can maybe see uh, any of the old talks or at least what they were about so that they don't double up on something that happened last year? Yeah, so we've actually got that on, um, we've got it on, I believe, YouTube somewhere. Um, all of our talks were recorded last year, which is pretty cool. Um, they were uploaded uh, to DEF CON's YouTube and they're also on our website. Um, so yeah, there's a um, on our website, just under our archive of DC26, you'll be able to see all the talks. Um, and as well as, you know, about the speaker as well and um, information about our workshops and stuff as well. Blueteamvillage.org. Yeah. Yep, that's the one. So, yeah. Um, honestly, we are, again, relatively new. We've only had the, the, the one last year. Um, so there's a lot of different, uh, topics that have not yet been addressed. It's, it's still a pretty damn open field. So, you know, go wild. You know, give yeah, us, just, just submit. I mean, we're, we're already, <laughs> we already have uh, several people who are locked in to evaluate this stuff. And I mean, do you yeah, want to have a free weekend? Who knows what kind of trouble they could get into. Would you say <laughs> there's any uh, specific, like, gap that you're kind of looking for? Like, you've got guys that are doing, people that are doing, like, maybe pack analysis and 
maybe you're lacking some Windows defense guys that need to talk. Maybe give some people some hints. Oh, no, seriously. When I say the field is pretty open, like, it's really open. We have a lot of areas that have barely even been touched, if at all. So, it, seriously, if if in doubt, submit. Just, you know, read the guidelines and, and try and be uh, complete about, uh, you know, make sure all the fields are filled in correctly and, and give us a nice, solid outline. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite talks from um, from last year was um, the one that I done by Lady Red. Um, she oh, did yes. it on espionage. That was awesome. That was such a good talk. So, I mean, there's always, like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's always, like, a defensive side to everything. So, yeah. you know, whether you're, um, you know, this was the defensive side to social engineering and espionage. Um, so, you know, with every sort of kind of topic, if there's an offensive side, there's also a defense uh, where you can defend against it too. Yeah, I think towards the beginning, somebody mentioned uh, that there was uh, a lot of crossover. And, and like you said, it, if there's somebody just starting out and you're interested in uh, whatever acts for that usually a red team does, but they're filled up or whatever, um, there's a blue team angle to it. Like they're gonna make a blue, a good blue teamer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think you were uh, mentioning it, but yeah, there's uh, red teamers make good blue teamers. Blue teamers make good red teamers. So there's, don't be afraid to just put yourself in the red team's box. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really just a, a slight change of perspective, and you realize exactly how many of your skills uh, apply. Yeah, absolutely. Mind you, I, I, I have stayed blue team very, very carefully. So we, we, we don't want to, we, we don't want me to go red team. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I'd like to see Munin doing a little bit of red team stuff. I think that could be interesting. I was going to say, says who? <laughs> I don't want to see me do red team. <laughs> well, that's fair. Oh my. Um but yeah, it's 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 been a lot of fun uh putting putting all this together and it's been very gratifying to see the enthusiasm with which it's been accepted even at a uh a, a historically red team type venue uh, like Defcon. Are there any uh... Other talks, or I mean, any conferences that do have more of a blue team focus that you guys want to shout out? Uh, there's there's a few out there. Um, I'm trying to. There are a few, but isn't that an interesting point? Is that we can't just provide you the names with these off the top yeah. of our heads? Yeah, right. I have to They're fucking right. I have to fucking Bing it. Google. <laughs> you have to Bing it. I have to be the first time I've ever heard somebody say that. Not ironically. I've only ever said that as a joke. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, my uh, No one yes, says keep no. coming, Bing it. It's always keep coming, Google it. <laughs> I thought it was Bing Fraser done. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Bing.com. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, I'll prepare some math gear and put a press release out uh, tomorrow. 
Oh, but uh, Osta La Vista, the real hacker search engine, never forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Osta Vista. Uh, Osta wow. La Vista, oh, like the, the like a hacker version. It was like from the nineties. The box SK. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. It's been years since I've heard that name. Serials <laughs> here. Wow. <laughs> it's like, I mean, if we get, want to get all retro tonight. <laughs> I think that was really before Google existed, actually. <laughs> wait, wait, there was a time before Google? I'm joking. <laughs> there is one conference I like to give a shout out to. Um, if you're, if you like to travel, it's called Code Blue. It's in Tokyo. Oh yeah, I heard about that one. Actually, <laughs> I think I might, I might actually be stopping by at some point uh, this year. Oh, yeah. that's neat. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I, I will note that uh, of all the conferences that I've been to, uh, the B sides group has had the the best representation uh, in a relatively mainstream conference of blue team considerations. Uh, goodness knows they've let me speak on a couple of times for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. It's uh, definitely a good conference series, and um, I highly recommend that uh, if, if anyone is out there looking for a good first conference to go to, uh, consider um, B-Sides. Yeah, B-Sides was my first, actually. Um, which one did you go to? Me? In Vegas. Yeah. Oh, neat. Awesome. Mm. Never nice, been. nice. Yeah, and, and we can... Uh, we can credit or blame as appropriate uh, Jack Daniel uh, for inspiring me to uh, go the first time. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's all his fault. So good stuff. Yeah. I thought you meant Jack Daniel as in like the bourbon, or do you mean like? <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. Drank too much well, whiskey one night. Yeah, I got a real good idea there, didn't you? I, I mean, I I won't say that the bourbon did not have a effect <laughs> here. But no, it, it, Jack Daniel, our our friend with the envy worthy beard, uh, He's the founder our, our, of B sides. The second, the founder of B sides. Yes, the founder of B sides, Lord of the Tiki, he of the great and terrible beard, and the top hat. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's his fault or his credit for for getting me into this whole mess. So. Uh, Thank you, Jack, and and very glad that uh, very glad that you took the time to speak to a, a total noob as I was at the time. Gotta respect the noobs. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, thing right there for imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. Nervousness, like everybody starts out somewhere, even the people that are talking right now. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You just gotta jump in and do shit. Yeah, I, I, I mean, definitely like gave me the courage. Yeah. You, yeah, you want to do it. You want to talk imposter syndrome? I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing half the time. I'll just make this up as I go along. Same here. I think they call that being an adult. <laughs> Adulting, yes. Yeah. It's very hard. Oh. 
I have a question just to get your opinions on it, because we've been we've been alluding in certain ways to the fact that um, Blue Team just doesn't really get as much love as it should. What do you think some of the major um, things are that prevent Blue Team from receiving the spotlight? Because people who do save the day, like the people who are behind the scenes every day making sure that our credit cards don't get stolen and our you know, power grid doesn't get exploded, those kinds of things are very important. That's like that's like superhero status kind of stuff in, in a lot of ways. But what are some of the reasons why you think that people don't give as much attention to that specifically? Well, Have you ever seen a news story? It, well, yeah. And the, the, the better we do our job, the less you notice we exist. I yeah, mean, it, it, if, if we do our job right, that. you'll never speak to us. <laughs> yeah. It's only when something fucks up that you get called. I mean, it's not quite that bad. I mean, there's a lot of room in, for instance, uh, developer outreach, uh, organizing uh, defensive information security policy, uh, speaking with system owners about vulnerabilities and and patching schedules, speaking with your, uh, your ops team uh, with respect to putting mitigations in place, uh, handling monitoring considerations. Uh, there, it's it's not quite fair to say that nobody ever talks to us except when something goes wrong, because there is a substantial and pervasive um, preventative aspect uh, to blue teaming. Uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, uh, at least. So there's always that, and and it's. It's perhaps not glamorous, uh, is, is fair to say. I mean, we don't go doing leet hacks on stage most of the time. Uh, we're, we're not exactly going to go and make a card fly sideways. Um, most of our stuff is, is focused around preventing uh, is sideways flying cars and, and that kind of thing. So in as much as we don't have the stunts that get the attention there's there's perhaps a bit of that aspect yeah and that's one thing to that's really hard to um it's difficult to kind of drive that point home to management sometimes um you might have all this sophisticated monitoring in place um so uh, even a mature um state of alerts that you've uh, developed over time. Um, but that's part of it too. It takes time to develop those things. But if, if you're not seeing anything, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not, that doesn't mean what you're doing isn't working or that what you're doing doesn't have a lot of value to it. Um, so that's, that's actually, that's a very real struggle that um, that the defensive side of things has to deal with um, on a daily basis. You know, how do you how do you report those sort of things to um, to, to upper management? That and and there's also a difficulty to some extent in measuring effectiveness. Uh, Absolutely, which is, which is how a lot of these really crappy vendors get away with it, because right. yes, they they can claim that they've blocked 800 million attacks, um, but you know what's defined attack <laughs> and see if every exactly. time someone pings you well yeah exactly. and 
and, and also there's the whole notion that most of the easy to understand metrics are going to be driven externally, which means that your higher profile company or a company who just shows up in the news is going to get more quote unquote attacks than a company that just quietly does business and, and most people ignore. It's, it's that whole economy of attention. There are, and I, 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 I kind of can't believe I'm saying this, but there's not enough attackers out there to really justify half the budget. Yeah, and that's where data analytics, I think, really comes into play and can, can really be beneficial to an, an organization when you start tracking things over time and you can start measuring um, all of the things over time. Um, that's where you can weed out a lot of the BS and a lot of the crap um, and get down to sort of what's important in your defense of the organization overall. Uh, but that takes time to develop. That takes a lot of maturity. Um, again, and it's hard to sort of sell that to, to upper management. Um, so okay. that's just a challenge. And I see we have a, a pertinent question there from chat as a blue teamer. <laughs> how, how do you tell risk management people <laughs> trying to check boxes and stuff? But yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, exactly. If you find out a good way to do that, that, that would be a great basis for a talk, actually. <laughs> a constant struggle to find uh, a good way to, to get people to focus less on compliance and such and focus more on on actual actionable things exactly uh, and that that that's where i would lean on data and that's why data is so important and learning how to use and analyze that data over time and it's not just one data point it's not just one attack or one ddos attempt it's all sorts of things over time there's, there's yeah, a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Without data, it's just an opinion. Yeah. You, you, you can, you can use the compliance push in some respects. Uh, if you can, if you can go and tie the projects that you want to see that solve problems to specific compliance controls and, and yeah. tell the compliance side, Hey, we we need to check this box, and there's different ways to do it. But this way here, that that uh, that will actually do a good job, um, is going to be the one that does it the best, uh, and that may help in some instances uh, to to get buy-in uh, for at least one project. Uh, it's a constant struggle, though. Yeah, it's it's just an ongoing challenge. Usually, pen test findings are a pretty good case study, though. You know, when you can show <laughs> yeah. this is vulnerable, it's not just in the news. You know, this is let's let's do it. You know, yeah. That's a, that's a sorry. That was gonna say that's a pretty good lead in. Like how so during a pen test engagement, while you're trying to blue team, um, you know, do you like say there's a third party? It's a, a third party pen test, and you don't get to you know tag team or whatever. Um, how about, how do you go about like dealing with that? Do you just like let the attacks come in and watch it or do you actively, you know, what's, what do you guys kind of do as an approach while that's, while you know that uh, test is going on? 
So you'll so want to wait for the ibuprofen to wear off before you get to the whiskey. Yeah. Because you can't combine those two. Right. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't combine those two. Come on. Well, if you do, it will turn out very badly for you, and you'll have another kind of red teaming happening. Jesus. <laughs> um, Damn it, I knew I was doing something wrong. <laughs> no, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it, whether it's you know white box, black box, or doing more of a purple team engagement. For me, I, I tend to prefer to do just a you know complete black box engagement where I don't tell them much about the network to where I make them go out and do that reconnaissance, you know, find our, our domains and our servers, things like that. They're talking to the internet and then let them just do their thing. And you know, I know it's happening, so I'm gonna sit and watch blogs, watch the IDS, things like that as it's going on, but I don't whitelist anything because I wanna know what's gonna trigger an alert. Yeah. I wanna so know what that, you know, that uh, that point is. If, how much can they do on the network without triggering the alert and kind of tune those hit on so there's also the the maturity of your organization and of your organization's <laughs> uh, logging and monitoring platforms that's going to make a large difference in how you approach this um if you have a very mature organization uh, then Harold's approach might work well. If you have a, a less mature organization that you know there are certain gaps in monitoring and such, uh, then a, a, a pen test is not going to be terribly useful to you in that fashion. You might want to go with a, a more cooperative approach uh, so that you're able to address uh, not only the gaps that you know exist, but um, other things that may or, or may not show up in your monitoring uh, platform as you have it. And, you know, there's there's a lot of shades of gray here, too. Um, it's it's really going to depend a lot you on... You mean shades of blue? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cool. So, uh, like, I guess another thing is, like, uh, there's a lot of blind spots, I suppose, in organizations, particularly younger organizations or even mm -hmm. the old, older organizations that have implemented things sort of in different teams and haven't told each other. Um, is there any advice you could give on, like, finding blind spots on, on that kind of thing? Oh, my. Oh, it's yeah. just be prepared that when you when you turn over one rock, you're going to see a lot of roaches underneath. Um, it's never just one thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's best not to look. But in all, <laughs> in all, in all seriousness, though, having insight into your network, having that visibility, is key and should be the first step. Yep. Right. And and doing what you can to facilitate um, communication and collaboration within the organization or even if if it's two different organizations that that have a trust relationship um just taking that that extra step or that first step into trying to um communicate better or or make something happen um is sometimes all that's needed right and, and the, the rest will follow and so this is going to sound a little funny but pulling the thread is, is going to get you really great results, even though it may not look very structured. 
So if if you find one thread, you know, one system that is unaccounted for in your asset inventory or something, and you find out who owns it, go ahead and pull the thread. Ask them, what else do you know about? Um, and you may well unravel the whole sweater, as it were, um, just by following that one thread uh, that you're, you're working with. Because that one person, it, chances are they're going to know about more than one thing you don't know. So you can keep on finding out, okay, so who else knows about this system and, and go with them? Okay, who knows? What else do you know about and who knows about that thing? And then you can just keep on finding out things and, and growing more and more horrified, but at the same time, better coverage over what assets you have. Yeah, and your environment is going to, your vertical, whatever vertical you're in is probably going to help dictate how much of that is possible or already known, right? Like if if you're in the financial sector, um, you should have a really good freaking grip on what's going on on your network, <laughs> right? I mean, you should, right? In theory, I don't work in that sector at all, but yeah. um, but it's in important. academia where I work, there are, it's a whole other set of challenges that you're presented with. So, you, so being on the def defensive side is not stagnant or um, it's not like one thing, it varies widely depending on the vertical, not just your organization, right? You have research going on, they have to be required to do this. They have to be allowed to do that. Um, so how do you manage that? How do you um, help defend them um, and the rest of your organization for that matter? Um, it's yeah there are a lot of real challenges and hopefully we'll get some talks that um you know target these sorts of challenges as well because i mean we're all faced with this on some level oh yeah it's uh and it's it's always something new and different every day whether you want to be or not <laughs> One that, that's what they say but is it i challenge that is it really oh, that different? Uh, There's always that XP machine underneath the desk in the corner. Oh, um, no, no. I, I, I had two new things in the past week. So that okay. may not be every day, but that's certainly uh, two okay. things I, I had not seen before. So oh, maybe, nice. Well, oh, yeah. That was, uh, that's been so. but you know, it's, it's it that's that's the way this this industry goes is there's always something new just have to yeah. wonder what when it's going to show up on your network right or maybe you'll be the first to see it yeah that's always <laughs> a really uh that's always a really lovely feeling when you go to look up a problem and find out no one has seen it before <laughs> <laughs> that or when you look it up and someone goes oh i have this problem and then they go oh never mind i fixed it and then that's the end of the thread yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Always useful. Stuff. hey so we're actually running our or it's almost the end of the show here do you guys have any uh shout outs or any last words that you want to give before uh we go submit oh. to our cfp yes yes definitely <laughs> OpenSock is is awesome. Graylog for sure. Graylog is awesome. They are they are they, they were an amazing part of last year's, and we're we're very pleased to see them coming back this year. 
we should probably give a shout out to DEFCON for having us. Absolutely. And also to Circle City because uh, we're going to show up there and make a proper mess of things. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we, we do plan a little bit better than we let on, but uh, there's, there's always something in there. Um, who else? All these people that we know and, and love. and Our volunteers that are awesome. Um, yes. Our volunteers are like a huge part uh, of what we did last year and uh, this year as well. So shout out to all of our awesome village leads who I know some of them are listening. Um, cheers for helping us. <laughs> And, Shout out uh, to you guys for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, uh, apparently my Shadowrun group is paying attention, so hey. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, we'll be excited to uh, see you guys at DEF CON and see where this project goes. Um, but yo, so uh, quick before, I have a couple of announcements before we get going. Um, I definitely want to shout out all of our patrons um thanks everybody here i was kind of slow with the clssps but uh going to be trying to mail them out asap again especially for all the new people who came on um recently uh so our patrons include dusty fresh zlz hamburger keyboard uh m housewrath delesh mark j james arleth gabe rain fractal zero woodsman who derek talon jerry brian g ryan walski Iyer. D. Helton, Null Cookies, Gojira, Sanad, DVD Freytag, Rufflewitz, and Zors. Thanks, everybody, for giving us stuff. Um, we have some cool projects down the road that we are really excited to uh, to be able to roll out. And um, we thank everybody for supporting us here. Also, thanks to Gatorbyte, who just subbed us on um, Twitch as well. Um, good stuff. And then I guess the next announcement that I have is we next week is our one-year anniversary of the crowd. Um, if you have been with us since before even that, we've been on the air for about a, a year and a month now. Um, but we officially started this podcast um, in its current form with the you know, same people and everything a year ago. And so we are going to be uh, trying to figure out what to do for a one year anniversary show and celebration. We'll probably have some clips and uh, Definitely want to get the John McAfee interview um, going as well, <laughs> so we can uh, you guys finally hear that. Um, and we also will be working after that. Take we're gonna take a break for about uh, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of weeks, a few weeks to uh, regroup and plan as we try to restructure our podcast to make it a bit more efficient. Now that we've learned a lot in a year, um, but just keep watching our um, our Twitter because we'll be putting out uh, the information about what all this means um shortly so thanks everybody for supporting us and hanging out yeah we'll uh i guess this is the uh next week will probably be the the season finale and then uh hopefully the crowd possible if they pick us up for next season yeah the network. yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we're going to netflix yeah netflix if you're <laughs> listening amazon prime uh send us that money uh we can definitely do with it thank you yeah. <laughs> Netflix uh, representative, have they they reached out to us? Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. So, uh, Burger uh, thanks for that. I think uh, the, harder, the harder thing for them will be to prove that they don't sponsor us and we're not on their network. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 
That's if why anyone has think... any uh, Netflix bugs, we'll pay more to put our show on there. <laughs> yeah, how much does the Rhodium have for that? Or do they have a bug bounty? What is it? Um, but yeah, no. So thank you everybody seriously, though. We've had an awesome year. It's been really crazy. I, we, I have way too many thoughts and things to say about it. Um, so we, we'll, we'll have it in a way that you guys understand without just me word vomit rambling at you. Um, so yeah. Um, thanks. Shout out to everybody. And we'll see you uh, next week. And thanks to uh, Burgatronic again, who just subscribed as well. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Cheers, sure. thanks. Thanks for being thanks on. Or one, one of me. I don't think anybody gave Cheers. love to Gopher.